Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Catherine McLean to the show. Catherine developed a passion for clean energy and technology in 2011. She worked at the United Nations, developing relationships with governments on public-private partnerships and subsequently took a job as a consultant at Acre Resources, a global recruitment firm focused on energy and sustainability. Catherine founded recruitment business McLean Ross in 2011 with a core focus on placing sales and marketing professionals within the energy and utility industry. In 2017, McLean Ross merged with global engineering recruitment business JDR Energy, creating JD Ross Energy. With a growing need for diversity in clean energy, Catherine launched Dylan Green in 2019, placing diverse commercial professionals within the clean energy market. Catherine, how are you doing today? I'm great, Raj. Thanks so much for having me. Catherine, thank you for joining. Catherine, where are you located? Arlington, Virginia, right next to the Pentagon. And how's the weather out there? It's gorgeous today. We had uh, days of rain, but of course, now that it's time to get back to work, it's a gorgeous day today. <laughs> well, I'm down in Dallas, and we've had several days of rain. In fact, yesterday for Memorial Day, it rained all day long. <laughs> so Catherine, I like to open the show by asking my guests the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Oh, interesting about myself. Uh, it depends on what you define as interesting. Um, I guess, you know, I'm a single mom to a toddler, and his name is Dylan, and that's who I named the company after. Uh, so I guess what's interesting is trying to build uh, a company while raising a toddler. Um, that's probably the most interesting thing in the world. <laughs> it's not boring. <laughs> well, since you mentioned him and Dylan, can you give the audience an overview of Dylan Green and your role at the organization? Yeah, so I founded Dylan Green uh, when I was on maternity leave, uh, beginning of 2019. Dylan is a Christmas baby, um, so I had him at the end of 18. Uh, you know, I had started other firms previously, um, but decided to go out on my own again. Uh, specifically focusing on diversity um, within uh, clean energy. Uh, so I'd been in the industry for about 10 years and felt like it was a real opportunity for me to be more focused within the space. Um, I was getting asked more and more uh, to help candidates find you know, awesome female talent. And so I decided to set up an agency you know, focused on that. Um, and it's since expanded into not just finding awesome female talent, but just talent, you know, awesome talent um, in BIPOC in general. Um, yes, it's been an interesting journey. So questions, why diversity specifically in clean energy? So I think I have had my challenges throughout my career. And, you know, I say this realizing that I have had privilege as well, 
you know, being a, a white woman, there's always a uh, privilege that I don't think I really appreciated until recently with the BLM movement making me more aware of that privilege. But I have had a lot of challenges uh, being a woman in uh, my career, not just in clean energy, but previously, because um, I didn't get into clean energy until I was 30. Um, and I'll say that, uh, you know, what I was trying to do was to, to find a way to set up a new firm in the space that was a bit more niche. I've always felt like the more niche you go, the better, because clients are really looking for experts. Uh, and so I had a, uh, a meeting with Jigger Shaw. I came back to the U.S. I was in London for many years and I'd come back to the U.S. and was back in the D.C. area and networking and getting to know who I should know in D.C. And so, of course, Jigger Shaw's name came up and um, he wasn't really familiar to me at the time because I'd been gone you know, for so many years. So I was kind of getting up to speed on, on all things U.S. clean energy. Uh, and when I met with him, I said, you know, if you were me setting up a new firm, what would you focus on? And he said, well, I would focus on on DEI. And, and I said, oh, well, really? You know, you think there's enough of a market there to have an agency just focused on DEI? And he said, absolutely. He said, I think that there's a, there's a huge market opportunity there. People need a lot of help with it and they don't know uh, how to go about doing it. And so I think for me, I'd always had that sort of dual mission of, um, you know, that a planet piece of placing people in clean energy, so thus improving you know jobs that will contribute to a low carbon economy, and then of course the profit piece. I'm a recruiter. I mean, obviously, I'm motivated by profit uh, as well. I'd be lying if I said I, I wasn't. But I think what I realized from that conversation is the piece I was missing was the people piece. I think I'd always you know been good. I hope <laughs> to my candidates and clients, but. I think really narrowing down on that people piece and how I could really affect people's lives, quite frankly. And, and I don't want to sound dramatic, but that, that, you know, I get a lot of messages from people saying that they've got jobs and, you know, had opportunities that they wouldn't have had otherwise if I hadn't you know, been an advocate for them and so forth. So I think um, it was a combination of the sort of stars aligning at that point and that sort of, you know, aha moment where I was like, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe there's really an opportunity here. Uh, to, to help and have a triple mission instead of a double mission. So before we move on, just in case someone in the audience is not aware, can you share what BIPOC is? Yeah, so it's Black, Indigenous, People of Color. Uh, so it basically means uh, people from marginalized communities. Now, in your experience of hiring, what have you seen as some of the biggest challenges that both individuals and organizations have specifically around DEI? I think that they're seems to be a little bit of a disconnect of people like wanting to do it and having the intention of doing it, but perhaps not quite prepared for how much work it can take. And so what I mean by that is, you know, I'm only able to help with the beginning of the journey, the di diversifying the candidate pool. That's what I can help with. But the inclusion piece, bringing someone on board, making them feel part of the organization, integrating them into an organization, retaining them, promoting them, that is something I can't help with. I am not an expert in those subjects. I can give advice, of course, from my experience, but I'm not an expert in that. So I think some of the pitfalls I see are people having good intentions of hiring around this, but not necessarily prepared for the onboarding and inclusion piece. And the other thing I'd say on the hiring piece is, 
you know, I have a lot of candidates from outside the industry, like oil and gas, for example, some really awesome talent, uh, female and BIPOC talent. And I think there's a real hesitancy of we don't have the time to train somebody, you know, and I think even in in finance, right? So you have some awesome women in investment banking who want to pivot, if you like, into clean energy. We don't have the time to train them. And I think the, the problem with that mentality is um, the people that have actually taken the chance, quote unquote, on this talent have been amazed by that, A, it doesn't actually take as much time as you would think to train somebody on solar, for example. Um, oil and gas is actually quite complicated uh, field, um, as is a lot of obviously investment banking practices um, and principles. So the clients I've had that have taken that chance have been amazed by how great it's paid off. And I think that my message to a lot of clients who are hesitant to take that chance is it, it does pay off. You tend to get candidates that um, are you're able to train up much more quickly than you realize. But the other thing I will say is the market is very, very strong. It is a candidate-driven market. Everyone is hiring. So, you know, if you're going to be open to looking outside of our immediate industry, you're going to really be rewarded with the kinds of talent that you're going to get because not a lot of people are willing to do that. They really want like for like. And, you know, as we continue to grow this industry and the jobs are just going to get more and more plentiful, <laughs> at some point, we're going to have to let more people in from other industries. So we just don't have the, enough people to, to do it, just to have it. So I've had a few conversations in the last couple of months and specifically with people that are leading hiring or have a role in hiring at different companies. And when I speak about DEI to them, I often hear a pushback in their voice or directly around, you know, I want to hire around meritocracy and not specifically around perhaps, you know, people of color or let's call it other kinds of talent. Mm -hmm. And so how do you address those kinds of conversations? I'm not trying to get people to hire off anything other than merit. I think that's the the thing. I'm not looking for some sort of affirmative action here where we have to hire uh, a BIPOC candidate because we have to hire a BIPOC candidate. I'm simply saying that at, when you diversify your candidate and when you put measures in place that you have to interview a certain amount of BIPOC candidates, you will be surprised by how great these candidates are. And it's just by giving them that shot, if you like, to even have the audience of these hiring managers, uh, you'd be really surprised by how um, how great the talent is. I think we we read resumes way too much, and we don't actually interview people. And I can tell you, after a decade of recruitment, I've had some beautiful resumes and not <laughs> such great candidates when you get to interview and vice versa, you know, some of my best candidates have, haven't had the best resume. I, you know, I've never had a resume. <laughs> like I can't remember the last time I had a resume, maybe when, you know, I first graduated. I mean, so it, the whole thing just seems ridiculous to me, this, this, you know, overemphasis that we place on, on a resume. So I guess that would be my message is, you know, I'm completely open to hiring off skills, attributes, merits, let's do it, but let's stop hyper-focusing on, what company somebody's worked at or what school they've come from or what GPA they have. And like, let's, you know, have a little bit more of a bigger, more macro approach. 
So let's switch from the organization to the candidate. How sure. do you how do you prepare candidates to perhaps find positions in the green tech, clean tech industry? I think the first thing I say to a candidate, and it really depends on if they've come to me and they're looking for a job and they're out of work, or if I'm headhunting them and trying to convince them to go to one of my companies, you, you know, that I'm working with. It really depends on the situation. But I think what I will say for candidates who are like actively looking and on the market who contact me, you know, I'm happy to help. Sometimes I'm able to help, sometimes I'm not. But, you know, the candidates I've seen that have done the best, saying the best, like been able to find uh, you know, the best opportunities are candidates that have a multi-pronged approach. So utilize someone like me, but also utilize their own network and, you know, make sure that they're applying and networking themselves. Um, I've seen countless examples of when people put their mind to it, they're able to get uh, what they want, quite frankly. Uh, the market is very good. It's just about, um, you know, putting the work in, quite frankly. So let's role play for a moment. I perhaps come to you and say, Catherine, I'm really interested in getting involved in clean tech, green tech sustainability. I'm coming from a totally unrelated industry. What's some tactical, tangible advice you could give to me for that? Network, networking, 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 networking. I cannot overemphasize it because I, as I said, have a, a real challenge on my hands trying to get companies to look outside the space. You got to remember, as a recruiter, we have a fee attached to us. So there is a feeling that clients pay us to find exactly what they want, right? So, you know, you, you have to take matters into your own hands. And I think the best way to do that is networking. If you look at the majority of the way people find jobs, it's networking. And a big reason why white males are so successful is because they hear about opportunities before anyone else hears about them because they're networking. So organizations like RISE, uh, organizations like WCS, Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability, organizations like C-Line, uh, Clean Energy Leadership Institute, uh, NUI in New England, um, you know, I could go on and on and on about how many different organizations there are. Um, and I think by networking, what you do is you get rid of that resume that I was talking about and you people get to know you for you. So you go and you do some speed mentoring events, you can join um, and, you know, getting involved in um, these mentoring events, you know, you're never too old, in my opinion, to have mentors and, uh, you know, learn from other people. And so I think when you start to do some of these events and go some of these talks and, and, and really start to get to know the industry and show an interest in the industry, like I said, there's a lot of jobs. So you're going to run into people that are probably hiring. And as they get to know you through these networking groups, it's a lot easier for them to say, hey, you know, she seems, he seems like a great person. I really want to hire them. By the way, can you send me a resume? You see, now it's less important, if you like. Catherine, this past year has been a difficult time to network and the world is opening back up again. I'm an introverted person, perhaps wanting to dip my toe in. How would you suggest I go about starting, if I'm starting from scratch, networking with these organizations or perhaps even online? Yeah, I actually think that this past year has been a great time to network because we are all stuck. We've all been stuck in our house 
glued to our computer. And I think for somebody who's introverted, you know, being able to network virtually is actually probably a lot less scary than doing it in person. I mean, I know I've gone to events and like not know anyone and I've been like really terrified and I'm pretty obviously outgoing person. And it's a heck of a lot easier to do that virtually. So I think even as things start to go to in-person, there still seems to be a lot of in-tandem virtual uh, 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 you know, events that are running. So for example, I'm part of um, a SIA event in a couple of weeks in New York. Well, there's, you know, that's going to be in person, but they're still going to be running it virtually. You see, so you still have an opportunity to, uh, if you don't want to go face-to-face uh, in New York to, to be involved in it. Um, so I think, you know, to answer your question, if you're an introverted person, start virtually uh, and listen, you know, listen to what people are saying and take notes. And when you feel comfortable, uh, you know, get involved in a, in a, and approach people. I appreciate that. Now, earlier you mentioned the People, Planet, Profit, and you really moved into this clean energy sector. What's the why? What drove you to start addressing, you know, People, Planet, Profit and then a, and then clean energy? So. I had moved, I worked for DHL, I'll just, just kind of go back a bit. I had um, worked for DHL after I graduated college at George Mason uh, here in the Northern Virginia area. And as I was working for DHL, I created an opportunity. I say create because I wanted to live abroad and I you know, strategically worked for DHL because they're a global organization and um, they gave me the opportunity to work abroad. So I went to London. I you know, When I was in London, I fell into recruitment, if you like. Somebody called me out of the blue um, and offered uh, me an interview uh, to be a recruiter. I didn't realize that at the time. I thought I was interviewing with them um, as a recruiter. I thought they were talking to me about other sales opportunities because I was a salesperson. Uh, and then once they explained to me that, no, the opportunity they were talking to me about was to work in recruitment. Uh, after I told them several times I had no interest in recruitment, I wound up in recruitment. Um, and then once I started with them, I realized, you know, working in finance uh, recruitment in London was great and it was super competitive and I, you know, I enjoyed it and I did well. And um you know, got promoted, moved to Dubai, and then uh, the recession hit. And I sort of took stock of like what I was doing and if I was happy. And I felt like I was, I just didn't feel, I felt like something was missing. And so I decided to take some time out to go back to school. And I thought instead of, I was going to do an MBA. And then I thought, well, I'm doing an MBA, but I don't really know why I'm doing an MBA. Maybe I should do something more focused. And so I decided to do my master's in public health. Um, I'd always been really passionate about nutrition. And so I thought, you know, maybe I could use my business skills to do something in uh, in public health. So went to University of Westminster in London, uh, was a very poor student, as I was a very poor student, George Mason. So we, I realized that, that at least I was consistent. And I've always been a poor student. And so but what I realized was I was really good at networking with the professors, getting all kinds of internship opportunities for myself and like several of my classmates. Um, and I landed myself an internship uh, at the Food and Agriculture Organization in Rome. And when I was in Rome for a few months, I realized, you know, this is super cool and it's been a great experience, but, you know, my talents really are in business, not the nonprofit world. And, um, but I want to go do something that is contributing to some sort of positive mission. I don't want to go back to sort of the finance world, if you like. So um, 
I decided to go back to recruitment and focus on uh, renewable energy recruitment. Um, that came about because I went to work for a firm in London called Acre Resources. Uh, and Acre does sustainability recruitment. But because I had had a background in sales, they basically said, can you play salespeople in uh, clean energy? Because the UK market is deregulated. So it's very competitive to get uh, salespeople in these organizations selling to uh, business customers. Uh, so wound up doing that for a few months and realized very quickly that the market was was booming. I mean, this is even when oil and gas was you know over hundred dollars a barrel. The clean energy market still was was doing very well in the UK, um, in Europe. And so left the firm after a few months and set up on my own. And that firm was called McLean Ross. Um, so I guess that's a very long answer to tell you that you know life is what happens when you make plans for it. I never thought I'd be in recruitment, and I never <laughs> thought I would be doing clean energy. Um, it's just sort of that's how the journey wound up happening, and I'm so grateful that it did. And I'm so grateful that I let it happen as well. So you mentioned renewable energy recruitment. You mentioned your conversation with Jigger Shah. How big do you think this opportunity is for individuals that are looking to perhaps make a career change or come into a new career? What do you mean, how big? the market for talent in the renewable energy climate sector? Well, I mean, I guess if we're talking about how big, I mean, I think sky's the limit, you know, especially when you have an administration that is finally, um, you know, willing to um, support us and work with us to, um, to, to build the space. I mean, I think what I'm also seeing the past few months is such a range of opportunities so, you know, last year was really <laughs> just sort of inundated with solar, solar, solar. It was like all utility scale solar. And I think now what I'm seeing is, you know, EV opportunities. I'm seeing SaaS opportunities. I'm seeing onshore wind, offshore wind, storage. Um, you know, there's so many different opportunities I'm seeing not only in job titles, but in micro sectors within our space. So that's a lot of what I tell people when they're trying to get in our space. I'm always like, keep an open mind. Like if you're really wanting to do solar, but you get an opportunity in like ener building energy efficiency, like, you know, embrace that. Like, you know, take, just get that first step into our space in any way that you can. And then you can get more, you know, specialized into something that you may be interested in as you go. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> It does. It does. So earlier you mentioned life is what happens when you're making plans and you seem to be right now in the or at the right time, in the right place. What's some of the most valuable lessons you've learned about yourself in your journey? I think, you know, being unapologetically honest, I'm very honest and transparent. And I think that maybe a little bit different than a lot of people are used to when dealing with recruiters. And so, you know, the positive of that is, you know, what you see is what you get with me. But I think the challenge with that is, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not an order taker. I'm going to give you my opinion um, based on you know, my experience. And, you know, I like to think of myself as, as, as definitely more of a, con a consultative approach, you know, so I definitely have learned to feel confident in that, consultant approach and push back. Um, I think, you know, I've also learned that uh, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you're deliberate. And it's, uh, you know, amazing what you can't accomplish when you make excuses, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm all about like, 
reasons why we can do something rather than why we can't do something. And I think, you know, it's much easier to approach life, you know, looking at things in a negative way and why we can't, can't make it happen. But I, uh, I feel very optimistic about Dylan Green. I feel optimistic about Catherine McLean. And I feel optimistic about what we're doing um, as a country and as an industry and, and the direction that we're headed. Can you give an example, either with a candidate or with an organization, where you've been, as you said, unapologetically honest? Absolutely. I had a client. Uh, he wanted to hire a, a BIPOC candidate. He was looking for, uh, he works for solar, utility scale solar company. He uh, wanted to hire somebody from utility scale solar company. And I said, you know, it would be really interesting if we gave somebody a shot who wasn't from the industry. And he said, well, I can't on this role. I said, all right, all right. So he came back to me a couple months later and he said, right, have a role. I'm going to go for it. We're not going to interview anybody from solar. We are going to interview people from, because the role was in Texas. He's like, we're going to interview people from oil and gas, BIPOC candidates, oil and gas. And I was like, let's do it. And so he hired somebody from a huge oil major. And uh, the candidate was over the moon to get the opportunity. And the client absolutely just thought he was outstanding. He's come in and he's done a, a tremendous job of helping them implement some really great processes and procedures on the FPNA side of the business. And um, I think that's one of my favorite stories because it really says a lot about that hiring manager. This is a white male hiring manager. You know, it really says a lot about him. He checked his own biases at the door and said, hey, you know what? She's right. Let's do it. Like, let's really make a conscious effort to give somebody outside the industry a shot at this. And it benefited not only uh, him and the organization, but the candidate. And it just shows you what you can do when you really put your mind to it. It really does. So let's step into the future. It's 2030. Okay. What do you see the future holding for Dylan Green? Oh, 2030. That's quite some time away. I was thinking, uh, <laughs> um, I think I'll be yeah, very tired. Um, <laughs> no, what do I see the future doing? Um, I think probably where I would like the business to go is more towards assisting clients with C-suite and board opportunities. Um, you know, I place candidates at all different kinds of levels and it's, you know, I really enjoy it, but I do kind of think that where we really need to focus these efforts is at that C-suite board level to really get that trickle-down effect. Um, and that sort of is where we can make the biggest impact. Uh, so I think that that's where I would like to see the business go to more uh, senior opportunities, leadership opportunities. I like the idea of working on that trickle-down effect. And I feel like some of your candidates that you've placed in the last few years are probably ready for that C-suite in 10 years. Uh, you know, I really hope so. There's nothing that gives me more joy than uh, working with my candidates and seeing them uh, develop and, you know, them become hiring managers and elite leaders in their own right. Um, it's something that I really, you know, relish and I, and I hope to be able to help them, you know, both individually and as a business. You know, speaking of hiring managers, if there's someone listening right now that's perhaps struggling and they're within a company and they're trying to perhaps launch a DEI initiative, right. what are some of the steps you would recommend they take? The steps I would recommend they take is to 
make sure that it's more than one. And what I mean by that is the company I, companies I've seen that have been most successful in doing this work and bringing on board diverse candidates have been companies where they've had more than one stakeholder who's championing in it. So they've put together a, um, a team or uh, some sort of task force or coalition, you know, whatever you want to, you want to call it, but making sure that there are multiple stakeholders involved at different levels, senior level, you obviously need a stakeholder who's, who is championing this work. You need HR who's, who's championing the work, but you also need everybody in between. And I think that's the biggest challenge is getting that middle management on board because a lot of times they're the ones that are going to have to train people. They're the ones that are going to have to be doing the actual legwork. So making sure that they're bought in to the process and, and, and feel, um, you know, maybe they don't feel as passionate about it, but making sure that they at least understand the importance of it and are willing to be a part of the process rather than hinder the process. And if they aren't, questioning if they're right for the culture of your organization. If that's what's important to the organization, then maybe they're not right for the culture of the organization moving forward. Well, speaking of the organization, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned retention. And I've seen some companies almost drop that ball or forget about it once they've hired someone. What are some of the best companies that you've seen or what are some of the best processes you've seen companies implement regarding retention? You know, it's the number one thing I'm hearing at the moment is from companies saying that attrition is their biggest uh, challenge at the moment. And as I said, the market is strong. Everybody's hiring. Wages are going up and people, companies are losing people. And I think what's surprising is they're losing people and they haven't lost people before and they don't quite know what to do about it. And so retention, I think, first starts with looking at pay and where you sit within the market and making sure that you are paying packages that are going to retain your employees because it's a lot harder to hire than it is, in my opinion, to retain. And I think the other thing is making sure that you have things internally that people are going to be bought into. So not just pay, but the culture, the mission, uh, you know, do you have a mentorship program? Are there people in the organization that are checking in with that person at different uh, levels? Do they, um, you know, is it, is it just their manager that is going to be the first one to hear if anything is is going wrong, if you like? Or, you know, are there other opportunities for other people in the organization at other levels to be able to hear that information uh, before it happens. I think a lot of people are surprised when people leave, I guess is my point. And so I think, you know, there shouldn't be any reason why you're surprised. There should be enough people that have touch points, if you like, to various different employees, that that shouldn't come as a surprise, that you should be able to kind of mitigate that resignation, you know, before uh, before they get that letter into your inbox. I like the idea of touch points. Makes a lot of sense. So, Last question, and this could be professional or personal, and you've already given a lot of advice both to candidates and organizations. If you could share some specific advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? Oh, um, I think it sort of goes back to the very beginning of the conversation before you started recording, which you said, you know, what can I do to help you? And I think that that would be my words of advice. You know, I think we all have a tendency to think about ourselves first, which is natural. But I think it's about thinking about others first and how you can help others. I think that's really been the game changer for my career is, you know, by helping 
trying to help other people, I've always had people really go out of their way to help me. Uh, you know, as I, it's karma, just having good karma. I love that advice. And um, I also have to, again, put a really strong point on what you mentioned earlier regarding networking, networking, networking. I can't tell you the number of times I've also suggested people and recommended people do that. So thank you so much today. Thank you for your time, Catherine. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.